So that's a tricky little reading, isn't it? Yes. I was wondering, well, I heard a little gasp over here as I read the bit about the one of the parts there. I was wondering what was going through your heads as I read it. Uh, we had quite the discussion on Tuesday morning, uh, probably one of the longest discussions I've ever had. It is a problematic reading, and it has uh, caused a lot of common commentary and debate uh, probably for most of the last 2,000 years, it would be fair to say. It seems to be that Jesus is advocating for us to be dishonest and cunning, bending the rules, cunning not in a good way, but in a shrewd, not good way, kind of like a cunning tax avoidance kind of way. And while that doesn't make any sense to us, does it? That's not how we see Jesus, that's not how we think the world should operate, and to see Jesus advocating that is very difficult. It is <coughs> problematic. The trouble is, we live in a different world from Jesus. In our world, money is very important. Money is important for itself. We had quite a discussion on Tuesday about that. But in Jesus' world, money was not so important. What was truly important was honour. And money was only important in as much as it could gain you honour. And if it didn't gain you honour, well, life was a bit more comfortable, but there wasn't a lot of point to it. So let's see how that might pan out in terms of this reading. So we have a servant who we generally des describe as being dishonest, but in the King James Version is actually called unjust, not dishonest. And well, I was a little disappointed. Uh, there is a guy who translates, uh, goes through this line by line in the Greek and talks about some of the tricky words, and he hasn't been doing it for the last couple of weeks, and I would really have liked to have seen what he said about that word that is translated as dishonest or unjust. But anyway, he gets caught. And he's not accused of being dishonest. He's accused of wasting his master's property. And so his master says, well, I'm going to have to fire you because I can't have you wasting my property. And I need to see the records. I need to see what it is that you have been trying to do. Try getting away with that under New Zealand or anyone's employment law in the West, really. You'd think you would have looked at the books first. But anyway, that's what the master does. And so the, the servant, this manager, then decides to be cunning and he summons all his master's debtors and he cuts what they owe. Now in our world, this is the bit that Gurley objected to, this is outrageous, isn't it? Yes. The master is owed this amount of money and this servant, this manager, has arbitrarily cut it. Sometimes by a quarter, sometimes by a half. The master's money has been frittered away. So you would expect the master to be outraged and angry. But instead, he says, well done. Why is that? Why would he say, well done? 
Because in the world they live in, money is not important for its own sake. Money is only important in as much as it gains you honour. And how do you gain honour? The first and primary way is by establishing client-patron relationships. So, in the way that you deal with people, you want people to be beholden to you. Not just owing you money, but owing you. Like, uh, lots of times in movies we have people who owe people a favour. Uh, for example, they saved someone's life, and so the person whose life was saved then owes them. And so in those movies, those people call that debt in. That's the kind of debt you want to set up in the, by, by using your money. The kind of debt where someone is beholden to you. Not just owes you money, but is beholden to you. And one of the ways you do that is by being generous and benevolent and merciful. Or to put it another, another way, a way that you would do that would be by saying to someone, you owe me a hundred bushels of wheat, but I can see you can't afford that, so how about we make it 80? Then, the, then you come across as being generous and merciful and benevolent, and the other person is beholden to you because of what you have done. A client-patron relationship has been established. Now, a couple of the commentators I read said, this is how the servant should have been behaving all the time. Because he was using his master's property to establish these relationships and to grow his master's honour. Now that makes no sense in our world because money is what is important. But in Jesus' world, it's exactly what makes sense. He has acted as expected. Shrewdly, cunningly, to grow his master's honour. And his master's honour is grown. His master is now portrayed as a benevolent and generous and merciful person. And so everyone is beholden to him. And the manager, the servant, well, he's kind of feathered his own nest as well, hasn't he? Now he's got people beholden to him as well. So it's a win-win situation. That's a very different way of understanding the world, isn't it? But it makes the reading make sense. The servant really hasn't been dishonest. He has acted as he should have been acting all along. And there is a hint in there that by wasting his, his master's property, what that means is he has acted in ways that has not grown his master's honour. What's the point of all this wealth if his, if his honour is not being increased? Jesus goes on to say, And I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. There are three things we need to know about Luke. The first is, 
You get the sense that he thinks that everyone who is wealthy got that wealth through unjust means. The second thing is, if you're a wealthy person and you're following Jesus, his expectation is that you will share your wealth with the poorest. That you will be as generous as God is generous. You will redistribute your unjust wealth to those who have suffered through your unjust actions. And the third thing is that God has a preference for the poor. Now, in our theology, the people who go to heaven in a good evangelical way are those who confess Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But in Jesus, in Luke, they're not the ones who get to heaven. It's the poor. Just because they're poor, they will go to heaven. So if you are a wealthy person, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, if you go to heaven after you die, and all the poor people say, this guy was a greedy, nasty, horrible person, kept all his wealth for himself, never shared it with us, was just horrible, what do you think your chances of getting into heaven are? Pretty much zero. God's going to say, nah, you're out of here. You can go to the other place. And next week we get to hear about the other place. But, so what Luke is saying here is, you want to go to heaven and you're rich? You better make sure the poor people in the community you live in think that you are a generous and nice person. Don't hang on to your wealth. Use it. Use it to make sure that everyone thinks that you are good, that you are just, that you are merciful. Then, when you get to heaven, the poor will say, you shouldn't bite this guy in. He was wonderful. He was generous and merciful and nice. And God will say, come on in. <laughs> so, again, it's a different way of seeing things than we are used to. And then we get to the last part of the reading. Be trustworthy. Use money for its proper purpose. Which in Luke's Gospel is all about relationships and community. It's not about having money for its own sake. It's about using money for the betterment of those around you. Being generous. And lastly, you can't be slaves to two masters. You're either focused on God and what God does, or on yourself and accumulating money. And clearly he's saying, you should be with God and you should be generous. Last weekend we had Synod. It was a grand affair. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And luckily we don't have to have another one until next year. <laughs> One of the motions we nearly talked about, but we decided we'd run out of time for, was a motion that said that we as a diocese would endorse the living wage. The original version was campaign, but we thought that might be a bit strong, so we watered it down to concept, but that was still too strong, and we decided that we would just leave it on the table for a year, which I'm sure those who are earning under the living wage were deeply impressed about. 
and you can tell that I was quite disappointed about that. We felt it was too complicated, too hard, too many fors and against, and uh, we needed to give it a lot more time. So hopefully next year we will give it time. In light of that, I was interested this week that Bishop Justin from Wellington came out in the New Zealand Herald and said that he supported the living wage campaign and that he would be willing to take a stipend cut so that those who were the lowest paid in his diocese, cleaners, etc., could be paid a living wage. He thought that that would be a just thing to happen. I was also interested that the Auckland City Council for the super city agreed in principle to the living wage concept, but they said that they could not afford any more for their wages bill, which one of the councillors, the more right-wing councillor, said meant that if they were going to do it, that meant the people at the top end would have to be paid less. It wasn't the left-wing guy that said it, it was Cameron <coughs> Brewer. And uh, I thought that's an interesting concept, isn't it? Wouldn't that be an interesting thing if those at the top end of the pay scale took pay cuts so that those at the bottom end of the pay scale could receive a wage that they could live on? Imagine our politicians taking a pay cut for the lowest paid, or those CEOs who get, I mean, some of them one and a half million dollars a year, took a third pay cut so that they so that some of the people in their organisations could be paid a living wage. Why am I talking about this? Because it seems to me that that's exactly what this reading is about. It's about how we use money. And its use in building communities. And ensuring that those who have the least have enough. That as Bishop Justin says, everyone can contribute and everyone can benefit. Hence my disappointment that where's a diocese, the one motion that actually said where's a diocese would do something that would hurt us about something, we couldn't do it. We're very good at passing motions on all sorts of wonderful principles, all of which I agree with. But when it actually comes to us doing something, we ran for cover again. There is actually a group of economists around who suggest that the pay of chief executives and top management should be linked to the pay rates of their lowest paid workers and that they cannot have a pay increase unless the lowest paid get a pay increase first and that it's locked in at 20 times that rate or 50 times that rate, which is still an incredibly huge difference between pay rates. In the pew sheet, I talked about Jeremiah. One of the reasons our psalm was so bleak this morning is the psalm is actually supposed to come after the Old Testament reading and is supposed to be a mirror or a response to that reading. So if you'd been listening to Jeremiah, it was pretty bleak. And so the psalm that was chosen was a bleak psalm to mirror what was going on. We kind of get it out of order because we do the psalm first, but that's, that's why the psalms. If you look at the psalms, if it's a happy kind of reading, that First Testament reading, then it's going to be a happier psalm. If it's a bleak reading, you're going to get a bleak psalm. Today we got bleak, bleak. And all of that is about 
community again and how communities work and Jeremiah's incredible grief at what was happening in his community and what was about to happen, which was they were about to get smashed by the Babylonians. This reading today also is about community and how our communities work. And we, you should have all now had your voting papers. We have a little stack at home, six of them for all those who technically live in our house. And I wonder what this morning's reading has to say to us as we prepare to vote. And I hope you all do vote. I wonder how this reading will help us sift through the candidates. I wonder what it is that you will be looking for based on this reading. I wonder how it will help you vote. So I invite you to spend a moment thinking about that. How does this reading help you vote?